Hey, uh, Jessica. Did... Did they tell you we were doing this, or is this just a pleasant surprise? All right. They warned you. That's good. Hey, guys, say hi to Jess. Uh, you were baptized on Thursday, right? All right. So I'm going to give you a copy of that, and I am so glad that you're here. Uh, now, Gina and who else studied with you? Ayana. Ayana, okay. Uh, you can go ahead and have a seat. That's some discipleship material. Guys, anytime somebody becomes a Christian, we want to make a big deal out of that. Uh, and so you guys, welcome her again, please. Um, that's the biggest decision you can ever make, is whether you're going to follow Jesus or not. It is literally the most significant decision any person can ever make. Guys, whenever we decide to follow him, the Bible says, and God's word says, that the angels rejoice in heaven. And so, of course, we're going to rejoice down here. But we also have a responsibility as older brothers and sisters, those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while, anytime we have a new believer among us, it's our job to take care of them. It's our job to help them learn. Uh, whenever you become a Christian, it's like your spiritual baby. And just like a baby needs help, uh, nobody has a baby and then just says, hey, go get a job and fend for yourself, right? There's a period of development that takes place for that baby to grow. There's nourishment that that baby needs. And over time, that baby starts to crawl, then it starts to walk, then it starts to run. And eventually that baby is being a parent to other people. It's the same way spiritually. When you become a Christian, you're like a little baby. You've got a lot to learn. You need a lot of nurturing. You need a lot of people pouring into you. Over time, you're going to learn to crawl, then you're going to learn to walk, then you're going to learn to run, and someday you're going to be a spiritual parent to other people. Uh, in a healthy church, we want to have a lot of spiritual parents and a lot of spiritual babies, amen? amen. And we are blessed with that here. Um, so we are uh, in the middle of a series called To Be Continued. Now, the premise of this series is that you and I are the same church today that we read about in the Bible. In the book of Acts, it's, it's written about the church 2,000 years ago, right when the church started after all the stuff happened with Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's got superpowers. It's crazy. He's able to hear, heal blind people and lame people. He even raises people from the dead. And he's telling people, hey, I'm from God. You need to listen to me. Now, have you guys ever encountered somebody that says that they are speaking on behalf of God? Probably so, right? Uh, especially if you are on something called the internet. There's all kinds of people who claim this is what God thinks, this is what God says. Anybody can say that. Have you guys ever encountered somebody predicting the end of the world? Anybody ever seen that, right? We're still here. It didn't come true. But there are people who are proclaiming to speak on behalf of God that predict the end of the world. We shouldn't listen to, but... If somebody comes and says, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God, you need to listen to me, and I dismiss them, and then they go over to a grave and dig it up and say, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God, here's grandma, and, and raises grandma from the dead, I might listen to that person, because they're demonstrating authority from God, not just proclaiming it. Jesus came to earth demonstrating authority from God. He was able to do stuff that only God can do. Not only that, guys, the, the Bible we believe as Christians is God's word was written by 42 different people. The reason we believe the Bible is authoritative is because every single one of those authors of the Bible was demonstrating authority from God, where they were either able to perform miracles 
or they were able to predict the future with 100% accuracy, something only God can do, right? Uh, so the Bible has authority, Jesus has authority, uh, and when we're walking around talking about how we should relate to God and how we should relate to one another, guys, I just want to start out today with a reminder, the Bible is God's word and it's authoritative. Sometimes we encounter stuff in the Bible that we'd rather wasn't there because it makes our life a little hard, right? Either it makes demands of us or it makes demands of others that others don't like and they don't like us as a result of that. So we're going we're gonna to broach something today uh, that's going to be a little hard, but I just want I, I to put this out there, right? We are opening God's word and God's word has authority. Uh, Mike, go ahead and read Acts 2, 46 through 47. You got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, uh, it's going to have all the scriptures on there. Um, but this is where we're going to start today. Day after day, they met as a group in the temple, and they had their meals together in their homes, eating with glad and humble hearts, praising God, and enjoying the good of well of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Okay. Uh, when the church started, that, that is chronicled in Acts 2. When you get to the end of Acts 2, everything's good. Uh, Jesus did this miracle. Uh, Peter preached a sermon. 3,000 people responded. Uh, this is the birth of the church in Jerusalem, in Acts 2. This is 2,000 years ago. And things are good. Uh, they're getting together as a church in everybody's home. They're, they're hanging out together. They're sharing together. They're talking about uh, uh, all the good things God is doing among them. And that last line is something I want to point out there. It says, praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. Now that's talking about the larger group in Jerusalem. This is the non-Christians. The early church, when it first started, they were well-liked. Wow, look at this little group of people. They love each other. They're kind to each other. They're taking care of the poor. They're selling their possessions and taking, taking care of everybody's bills. Like, look, there's no needs among them. Look, they're healing people. Like, there's all kinds of cool stuff happening. And the culture at large liked them. You guys ever noticed that before? The culture liked them in Acts 2. But guys, it's not going to be very long after this that things are going to take a turn. And the culture is going to go from liking them to not liking them. Now, last week, Jake taught a lesson on the lame man in Acts 3. <clears throat> what he didn't get into as much is right after uh, Peter heals this lame man, uh, it's a miracle, like this guy had been, he had been lame from birth, could not walk. All he could do is sit at the gate to the, to the, to the city and beg. That was how he got his food that day. He couldn't work. Couldn't take care of himself. Everybody knew who this guy was. It's the guy that we see every day walking by the side. I've been, been walking through here for 40 years. This guy's been here every day for 40 years, right? You know him. He's like a staple in the community. We've got some folks like that around Collinsville, right? Everybody in town knows who that person is because we see him around town. they kind of a staple. Uh, same deal. Peter heals this guy. This guy who was lame from birth is now walking and rejoicing and telling people, this guy came and healed me in the name of Jesus. Guess what happens? Peter takes this opportunity to preach to the crowd that gathered to look at this lame man. Another 2,000 people become Christians in Acts 3. 
He teaches them in the name of Jesus. Now, guess who didn't like that? The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. Now, these were people who uh, were leaders in Judaism, and they did not believe Jesus was really from God. They thought he was like a wizard who could heal people with black magic. It's crazy. If you go look at history, even the Jews admitted Jesus could do miracles. They just attributed it to black magic. Uh, but they didn't believe in him. And so they had a big problem with Peter healing in the name of Jesus because that means people aren't going to follow them. They're going to follow Jesus. That means their power is going to erode. And so guess what they do? It says uh, in 4, it says the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, they go from being celebrated, being somebody everybody loves, everybody likes, to being jailed. And it's not going to be but a couple chapters after this, guys. It goes from a night in jail to by the time you get to Acts chapter 7, three chapters later, we're going to see the first Christian get killed in Stephen. After Stephen gets killed, it opens a can of worms. And it goes from Stephen getting killed for his faith to another person getting killed to another person getting killed. Pretty soon, there's a general persecution that starts in Jerusalem in Acts 8, and it spreads out from there. And suddenly, it's not just one guy who's getting killed and thrown in jail. It's whole families. And there's a guy named Saul who's leading the charge in this. Okay? Guess what? He later becomes a Christian. His name becomes Paul. You have probably read some of his letters. He started out one of the guys that was killing the Christians because of this. I say all that to say uh, the honeymoon for the church was over very shortly. It was very short-lived. They enjoyed some favor for a moment, but as soon as the larger culture figured out uh, that what they were teaching and believing about God and what God says and how God teaches, the culture turned on them. And as they grew, you know, they go to this little group of 120, the group of several thousand. Okay, not only is it the Jewish culture that's turned on them, it's also the Roman culture that turns on them later. And in history, there are general persecutions, uh, isolated incidents, but then also empire-wide persecutions that happened a couple of times against Christians. Thousands of people were killed. Now, I say all that to say, we're going to look at a topic today. The the title of this lesson is what to do when the world doesn't like us. Okay? This is going to be a hard topic today. I'm just going to tell you up front. I'm not going to talk about this stuff all the time on Sundays, but occasionally we're going to talk about some stuff that we're going to talk about today because it's important. And uh, to be honest with you, the church in the United States and in our culture, the honeymoon is over. The honeymoon is over. We have, in our culture, enjoyed uh, a time as Christians of a friendly culture. Uh, If you look back at the the founding, guys, just if you know me, you know I don't believe in such a thing as a Christian country. I I don't think that's a thing. But uh, there were values in our country that were prevalent and the culture at large that were friendly to Christianity and to the teaching of the Bible. But guys, that has changed in the last few years dramatically. We are right now in the middle of a global and historic shift in thought. This is going to be a period of time in history 
where historians look back and talk about uh, this time is a major, major period of transition for us. We are the largest, we are the most powerful military country in the world. Uh, we are more influential culturally than any other country in the world. All of civilized society kind of follows after the United States. And there is a progressive secularism that is present now that, is, that used to dwell in the academic realm that has now moved into the popular thought realm that is affecting day-to-day -day life. And guys, this is not a political issue, okay? This is a spiritual issue. I'm going to give you some examples of, of things that are happening in our culture. And this is either situations that I am directly involved in or situations that my good friends are involved in. Let me give you some examples of the types of things that are happening. Universities in our culture now are adopting on-campus policies that are very unfriendly to Christianity. We as Christians are told in God's word, our job is to make disciples, it's to share our faith. We have a student organization at a local university that was dissolved because we refused to sign a statement of faith or a statement on their policy saying we would not share our faith. Guess what they did? They kicked us off campus because we would not say we won't share our faith with other students. This is students. You students are not allowed to share your faith on our campus. Well, we're going to do it anyway. We don't need your student organization, right? Uh, a minister had a page removed from Facebook for posting an article written by a woman celebrating the fact that God had created her a woman. He was completely banned from Facebook. A Christian working as a pharmacist was told he had to fill prescriptions for the morning after pill, even though it violated his faith. And he was told he would be fired if he didn't do it. Uh, a Christian um, student organization, or excuse me, LGBTQ student organizations are popping up in schools, pressuring students to express support for their agenda. In middle schools, used to, we would say to the campus ministries, you guys are on the front lines of, of what's going on out there. Now it's elementary schools. In elementary schools, you guys are on the front lines of what's happening in the culture. When you go to school and are told, wear this pride pin, and if you don't, we're going to mistreat you, that's the kind of stuff that's happening in our schools even here locally. An insurance company told a church they wouldn't provide liability coverage for them because their biblical views on gender would invite litigation. Uh, the Canadian government, which is generally 10 to 12 years ahead of us in popular thought, has recently uh, outlawed gay conversion therapy, which we do not support, by the way. Uh, but as part of their Part of the way the law was written, they outlawed prayer. If you're working with someone who's homosexual in orientation, who's thinking about becoming a Christian, they outlawed praying for them in Canada on the way the law is written. Guy Hammond, how many of you guys know Guy Hammond? Okay, Guy's a, uh, he's a gay man and he's a Christian. Uh, he, he does not practice homosexuality, but that is his orientation. Um, he's, he's a leader what he's doing right now is against the law in Canada. He has spoken with an attorney, and his attorney, guys, this is somebody we know personally, okay? 
His attorney has told him you could go to jail at any time just for having your Christian ministry, the way you're operating, because you're working with homosexuals. And he could go to jail. All, all it's going to take is somebody bringing, it, uh, bringing a charge against him. He would lose the way the law is written. A high school valedictorian was specifically told by the school administration that as part of his speech, he cannot mention the name Jesus. We know a church that was removed from YouTube with no explanation, simply for teaching the Bible. We know of a fourth grader in Wisconsin with some friends of ours who was sent home with an assignment to write a card, a fourth grader, to write a card for a classmate of theirs that was transitioning from a boy to a girl, affirming that, and if they didn't complete the assignment, they would, re they would receive a failing grade. It would, it would apply to their grade. Uh, we have a psycho uh, psychologist friend that tells us the American Psychological Association's ethical guidelines uh, now prevent even a Christian counselor from teaching what the Bible says about sex and gender. Okay? God created you. We are not God. The shift in our culture right now is moving to redefine reality on a number of different fronts where it firmly places humans in the place of God, where now we are the objective source of reality. Tell me your truth. Okay? What if your truth and my truth are different? Whose truth, is, is, whose truth wins? Well, it doesn't really matter. Well, yes, it does. I'm sorry. But there's an objective truth, and guess who determines who, what is true and what isn't? It's God. Guys, anytime you start replacing a God with something else, guess what happens to that old God? It gets removed. Whenever we put ourselves and our opinions where we get to define what reality is, and this is what is right, and this is what is wrong, and oh, you were born a boy, but we're going to call you a girl. You were born a girl, we're going to call you a boy. Or it, yeah, we know God says that, but we don't really care. As soon as you start... Putting your opinion on the level of God, guys, you have, you have kicked God out of your life. It doesn't work like that. There is one God. There is one truth. There is one church. There are not multiple paths. There is one path to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. We've got to obey him. We need to honor him. And guess what, guys? As you honor and obey him, guess what's going to happen? The world is going to freaking hate you. And you just need to expect it. And so I'm really happy we have things like the book of Acts for our day-to-day. -day. Guys, our honeymoon is over. It is no longer going to be a cushy pillow time to be a Christian. You're going to take some heat if you're serious about this. Now, if you want to half-throttle it, and, and do one foot in and one foot out. The world will love you with, when you're doing that. But guys, if you're really serious about this, I'm not saying you got to be mean. I'm not saying you got to be unkind. Guys, I don't have hate in my heart as I'm teaching this stuff. What, what I don't want you, I don't want anybody to be looking at me and, and, and being offended with me, okay? I'm really not trying to be offensive. But if you're offended with God, that's your own problem. And, and that's really what I wanted to get you to see is this, if you've got an issue with any of the stuff I've said this morning, guys, the stuff that I've said and the beliefs that I've stated 
All of that is backed up in God's word. Now, you may need to go and have somebody walk with you and show you, but I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm not a passive, casual student of the Bible, okay? I know what's in there. All this stuff is backed up in God's word. If you've got a problem, guys, the problem is not with me, okay? Your problem is with God. Don't shoot the mailman for bringing the mail. I didn't send the mail. I'm just delivering the mail, okay? But I don't want to get in the way. I want you to, to wrestle with God if you're struggling this morning. Moving forward, guys, we're going to face a culture that's more and more hostile. And as I was saying, I'm really glad for the book of Acts because the book of Acts gives us principles and guidelines because, guys, if you think it's bad for us now, it's really, we're just getting started. Nobody has gotten killed yet that I know of, but that may come. Guys, in the book of Acts, they were getting killed for this stuff. So how do we navigate these waters? How do we navigate? What are some principles as we're, as we're moving forward in this culture that's, that's going to dislike us and that's going to be uncomfortable? There's going to be awkward situations, right? How do we deal with this? The bottom line uh, is we just need to lean into God's word. So what to do? You've got some blanks on your notes if you want to fill these out. What to do when the world doesn't like us anymore? Uh, we want to give you some principles, and this is going to be part one of two, okay? Jake's going to have next week. Uh, but first of all, what to do when the world doesn't like us anymore? Number one, I determine why, and I respond decisively. <laughs> I determine why, and I respond decisively. Is it something that I can help or something that I should change? This is a question that we need to ask. In 1 Peter 4, 14 and 15, it says, Count it a blessing when you suffer for being a Christian. This shows that God's glorious spirit is with you. So he's saying right here in this opening line, hey, if you're suffering for doing good, just, just praise God for that. Uh, it means you get to suffer like Jesus. You have the privilege of suffering like Jesus. That's a good thing, man. You can put that on your resume in heaven, right? Uh, that's a good thing. But then he says, but... You deserve to suffer if you're a murderer or a thief or a crook or a busybody. Did you guys ever notice he put murderer, thief, and crook right next to busybody? Dude, I know some busybodies. Don't raise your hand. I know some. But he puts it next to murderer, right? But what he says there is you deserve this. Take your lick, son. Learn your lesson. Okay, if you're getting mistreated for your faith, it could be because you're a jerk. Okay, I'm not trying to be that kind of jerkish to say that. Okay, but it could be. It could be that that, that people just see you as you're kind of fake. You don't really. You're not really serious about this. Okay, uh, I may be disliked because of my hypocrisy. Um, if I'm play acting, if I'm saying that I'm a Christian, but then I'm acting a different way, that's a turnoff. How many of you guys in here, we have, we're a weird church, okay? We have a bunch of new Christians in here. Not typical. How many of you guys uh, didn't want to come to church for a long time because all the hypocrites? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Don't lie. Come on. Raise, seriously. A lot of you, right? This was me. Survey after survey after survey has been done that has showed this is a thing. For decades back, what keeps people out of church? Well, it's all the hypocrites that are there. I don't want to be like those fake people that go in there and pretend, right? Uh, 
if you're a, just really mean, like throughout the week, but then you come and, and praise, people see right through that. You know who sees right through that more than anybody else? Your family. So those of us that uh, have kids or whatever, a lot of times a lot of damage is done when, when you claim to be a disciple of Christ, but then you go home and there's something different at home. You lose your kids. They never want to take it seriously because they hate the hypocrisy. But we see this in the larger culture as well. So you need to ask, are these people, if I'm being disliked for my faith, am I being disliked because I'm hypocritical? Are they seeing something, seeing me proclaim something, but then seeing me live something else out? Because that will invite contempt if you're not being real. So what do you need to do if you're struggling with being hypocritical or not really being serious about this? Well, you need to repent. The way out of this the correct response when I'm hypocritical is repentance. Jesus uh, had a very sympathetic posture toward people who were struggling. If, if you were struggling with sin, uh, but he had a corrective posture towards those who were rebellious. And guys, he calls us to repent. That word means to change your mind. When it comes to sin, uh, you see sin for what it is. You see it the way God sees it. If God says that is deadly and that will kill you, then you say, I'm going to change that. I'm going to get that out of my life. I'm going to change. So repentance implies you're actually changing, right? That's what people need to see. And I'll just tell you guys, if, if you're honest, like if you have blown it with your friends or your family, with so many of you in here being new Christians, you have blown it. I guarantee you, you just need to think back to ways that you've blown it. And you know what goes a long way with people to restore your credibility is going and telling them when you've messed up. And guys, I know people whose, whose kids a lot of times carry wounds with them because of the way they've been treated at home by a, a parent or a loved one who says, says that they're faithful, and they just have made some mistakes. But man, it goes a long way just to go back and ask for forgiveness. You'd be amazed at how graceful people will be with you when you're honest. But you are not going to get any grace from the world if you fake it. Because people will see right through it. Guys, this culture and this world does not need another fake. We need real. We don't need play actors. We need people that are for real, right? So go back and, and, and be honest. So you could be disliked because you've blown it, okay? You wanna know why else you could be disliked? For the opposite. You could be disliked because of my faithful consistency. Because of my faithful consistency. Um, I've got friends. Guys, I'm not, I am not the uh, picture of faithful consistency, okay? But I have been relatively consistent uh, in my walk with the Lord since I became a Christian a long time ago. I was a drug addict for a long time. I liked partying. I used to go to raves. Uh, I was a DJ. I was a local celebrity in Memphis and other places. I had access to limos that carted me around. I was a good time uh, when it came to worldly stuff, okay? And I say that uh, with a little contempt because I do not look on those days with fondness, okay? I was very sad and isolated and lonely, and I almost committed suicide. So if you think what I'm saying sounds like fun, uh, all of that stuff that the outer world saw was just a veneer. I was sad and depressed and lonely during those years. But I was very worldly. And I was the guy that you'd hear on the microphone at the club. Uh, I was the one 
pushing the party along a lot of the time. I was the one introducing the bands at the concert and smoking weed with them backstage. My life looked fun. It was not, okay? It was empty. But all my friends that I used to hang out with back then, when I became a Christian, guess what they said? He's just going through a phase. He's just going through a phase. We'll give him a month. He'll be back, right? After month one. Uh, he'll, he'll be back after another month. After month two. He'll be back after another. Eventually, they realized he ain't coming back. Guess what? We didn't have the same kind of relationship anymore. Because the glue that was holding us together was smoking dope, doing coke, sleeping around, going to the strip club, like all the stuff worldly young men do. And when that went away, our relationship changed where I'm not as fun as I used to be. Matter of fact, he's probably judging us right now. And so guess how they treat me now? Even to this day, they still treat me like crap. Now, I still love them, but I know they talk crap about me because sometimes they do it to my face, right? And that's okay because what does the Bible say when you suffer for doing good? Count it all joy. Count it as blessings. But they don't like me because of my faithful consistency on some things. I will not give on some things that I used to give on all the time. In 1 Peter 4.4, 4, Peter's writing to a group of people in a very secular Roman culture that was more progressive than our own in a, on some things. Uh, it's still wrong in our culture to have sex with children. Well, they let them do that in Rome, right? There were other things that they let them do that would just shock you. That was normal behavior for the worldly people back then. Um, now those friends, this is Peter talking, they think it's strange that you no longer join them in the wild and wasteful things they do, and they say bad things about you. Guys, yesterday, old friend of mine texted me on accident. And so I respond and start a conversation with him. And I say, I was just thinking about you the other day. And his response, his response is, that's probably because I was involved in a really big sin. And that's what he sends back to me. Kind of, kind of a jab, right? Right? He's not religious. He thinks the Bible is mythology, right? I still love the guy. From the bottom of my heart, still love the guy. But he was kind of a jab. And then I invited him to hang out later. Uh, he didn't want to, right? His response is, we are in two different worlds. We are in two different worlds. I don't think we can be friends. And I said, buddy, I'm your friend. And he responds back, can we talk about this later? I've been drinking since 1030, and I just took a whole bunch of mushrooms. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff we were doing 20 years ago. That was my day 20 years ago. If you guys knew me, that was my day. What's Wes doing today? He's been drinking since 1030, and he just took a bunch of mushrooms. He's probably going to go for a drive now. That was my day. But my friend that I was right there with 20 years later, if he watches this, I didn't mention your name, uh, <laughs> is still doing the same thing. 
he's still doing the same thing. Guess how he feels when he looks at my life and looks at his life? It's two different worlds that we're living in. He's right. He's right. I still love him. If he dies, where's he going to go? If he dies, he's going to have to answer to the Lord. I still love him. I'm not going to be a jerk to him about his beliefs, but I am never going to close my door to that guy in case his heart changes, right? I'm praying for that. Guess what? If I told him I was praying for him, he would probably try to hit me because he is that hostile toward faith. But I love this guy. I love him. I'm never going to stop. And my love for him is nowhere near how much Jesus loves him. But I take crap from him. Why? Because those friends think it's strange that you no longer join them in the wild and wasteful things they do, and they say bad things about you. Because I, it's like my behavior, they're holding up a mirror to themselves, right? It's just the way it is. I can't make him like me. You know what my job to do is, though? What can I do that's going to be good to him? Well, the correct response when I'm taking heat for consistency is you just need to be persistent. You need to not give up. You need to not stop. The, the, um, the dilemma we face, because we want to be liked, right? If somebody's going to become a Christian, it's probably because they going to be because they have a close relationship with somebody that is a person of faith. And so whenever we love people, Guys, I've got people in my family uh, that are diametrically opposed in terms of their worldview and their beliefs. Whenever we love people, we want them to be near to God because we know what a treasure is. So we want to have those relationships with them because in our hearts, we love them. And that's what's going to give them hope is that relationship with me. But, but if, I'm, if I'm like standing up, you don't even have to be mean about it. You just, like, like we said, just being consistent, just faithful consistency. People are going to want to cut you off. Guys, I have people in my own family that do not want to talk to me. You want to, and, it, and it's not because I've said anything to them. It's not because I've been mean to them. Guys, I have, their whole lives been nothing but kind. And, and you guys know how I am with kids. Like, I love kids. I love my family like that. I, I, I love them. But there are people in my family that have a hard time with me just because of my beliefs. And I want to lean in and I want to be close, but they don't want to be close. And my, my temptation is to give in on things. My temptation is to not share what I believe. My temptation is to make it easier for them. It's to lower the bar on holiness just a little bit, just so they'll step through because I want them to be right with God. So I want to I give in a little bit because I love them. But that's not the way. But to, to do that, I would have to go against what this is saying. I have to trust that God knows better than me. You know what I don't stop doing? I don't stop praying for them. You're not supposed to talk behind people's backs, but you can pray behind their back all day, and it's okay. You pray behind their back. And the thing with the kingdom of God is, guys, if you have people that you love, that are struggling, guys, with the kingdom of God, God is mighty, and his army is vast. 
Do you know there's people that I have prayed for for years that I might have planted the seed for, and then they moved around the world? And guess what happened? God put somebody else in their life that they listened to, and they ended up becoming disciples. God is bigger than us. Sometimes we've got to trust him. We can't give in to the temptation to lower the bar. We've got to be persistent. And here's what you can expect when you're persistent in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. Look at this now. This is Paul. We Christians have the unmistakable scent of Christ, discernible alike to those who are being saved and to those who are headed for death, to the latter It seems like the very smell of doom. To the former, it has the fresh fragrance of life itself. Now, what he's saying right here is your faith is going to make a smell. And he's using this as a metaphor. To people that are seeking God, your faithfulness and your consistency is going to smell good. It's going to smell attractive. Why? Because they are moving toward God. And they're going to look past some of these challenges and some of these uh, where your worldviews collide. They're going, to, they're going to be open-minded. They're going to say, okay, the preacher said something that I kind of made me a little mad. Uh, but they're going to say, was that from the Bible? And they're going to go and look at that. And they're going to be open. Okay, maybe I need to change my viewpoint if God says something different. But if somebody is hostile, if they're not really interested in being close to God, they're going to look at what we say and how we live in our faith, and they're going to judge it harshly, and they're going to say, how could you be so closed-minded and bigoted to believe that? And they're not going to be willing to look at it, and they're going to hate you. One sees God as an authority and someone who should be listened to. The other sees man as the authority. And we get to define reality. And your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And guys, that is not compatible with the Christian faith. But you are going to stink to some people. I've got a dog named Roxy. How many of you guys know Roxy? If you've been to my house, you've petted Roxy. Roxy loves to be petted. She will come up and it doesn't matter if you come over to my house for the first time. Roxy's going to come and she's going to put her head underneath and she's going to make sure if you're not paying attention to her, she's going to make sure you notice her, right? And she's going to keep coming back if you pet her. One time Roxy uh, had a little bit of hair loss and so we got this uh, medicine to put on her where you mix it with motor oil and then you put put the medicine on her. Um, because it, uh, it makes it stick to her fur and the medicine's able to do its work, right? And so we get this motor oil and we mix it with this powder and I rub it on Roxy's back and Roxy is upset that this stuff is on her. This is when we lived in St. Peter's, right? We had a creek behind our house. Guess what was in the creek? Sewage. Roxy decided she wanted to take a bath. Not only did she jump in a creek full of sewage, the the oil that was designed to make the medicine stick to her now is making the sewage stick to her. She smells like poo when she comes back in the house. And, you know, you walk in the house and are like, what's that smell? It's Roxy. She rolled in sewage. And it is slowly working its way into her biological system. (laughs) She stunk. I'm not giving that dog a hug, right? I'm not giving that dog a hug. I'll give her a hug. 
when she's clean, but if she smells like poo, I'm not giving her a hug. Guys, to some people, you smell like poo. And there's nothing you can do to make that go away. The reason you smell that way is because you're being faithful to Jesus. The only way, church, please get this, the only way you are going to be able to make your faith attractive to some people is by throwing your faith out the window. Some of you in here have family and loved ones that you desperately want to see okay. You love them from the bottom of the heart and you desperately want them to have a relationship to God. And the temptation for you is going to be to give in to certain things. I know people in here who they have family members who are uh, struggling with transgenderism. And if you don't call them by the pronoun that they choose, we don't have a relationship. We teach, guys, and the Bible teaches and God teaches that that stuff is rooted in creation. Guys, I cannot... As, as a man of faith, call a boy a girl. And I cannot call a girl a boy. I cannot attend a same-sex wedding, much less perform one. I won't even go to one. I cannot do certain things that make my friends upset because it violates my faith. And guys, the only way I can make my friends happy on certain things is to violate my faith. And I just can't do it. But, that, but I'm tempted to. I'm tempted to. Right? And that's the same dilemma we're all going to face. As you interact with people who think you stink, because it's going to happen if you're faithful, Remember what Peter says about suffering for doing good in 1 Peter 3. He says, even if you suffer for doing what is right, you will receive a blessing. Don't let them frighten you. Don't be intimidated, but exalt him as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to offer a defense, humbly and respectfully. Keep your conscience clear so that those who ridicule your good name in the anointed and say bad things about you will be put to shame. If you're suffering for doing your faith, what Peter says is you need to know how to articulate what you believe and why you believe it. Guys, there are people who will approach you and it'll be combative, but it's an opportunity for you to, to help them encounter God's word. Now, what they do with it is up to them. But guys, as, as, as people who love Jesus, we need to be prepared to just share God's word with them. Again, we just deliver the mail. We didn't write it. But we need to be prepared to deliver the mail whenever that comes up. And we need to do so humbly and respectfully. Man, we don't need people with megaphones going on campus screaming at kids that they're going to hell. We don't need people posting incendiary bullcrap on Facebook making people fight them just being stupid. We don't need people mixing faith with politics and putting a guy like Donald Trump's face like he's some bastion of righteousness, he is a horrible human being. Guys, this problem is not political. You're not going to solve it by going and pulling a lever on a voting place, right? This is a spiritual issue. 
a spiritual issue. And we need to approach it that way. Humbly and respectfully. You need to be ready to give an answer, okay? Especially you kids. You guys are dealing with crap that... I grew up in the 90s, man. We would beat you up if you did some of the stuff they're doing today. Like, it's just a different world. It is a completely different world that we're living in now. But it's, it's this progressive, like... Um, secular kind of agenda. But again, guys, it's not political. It's spiritual. And you just need to see it that way. Uh, Peter embraced Jesus as the final authority in everything that he said and he did. Peter uh, intimately knew who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So here's what happened to Peter in Acts 4 right after they'd spent a night in jail, okay? They called the apostles back in. Now, this is when they're going to get taken before the court. We're going to do communion right after this, so if you guys want to get ready. Uh, They called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine getting drugged before a court and said, hey, You don't teach in the name of Jesus ever again. This is what the court is telling these guys. And Peter says, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Like, who are we going to obey? You or God? Now, you know, guys, the, the Bible says we're to follow the law. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, if you want to look it up, we're to follow the law. God has ordained those authorities. If if there's a speed limit posted, you're supposed to follow it. If there are certain things, but you know what? If the law ever goes against what God says to do, guess who you follow? You follow God. During our lifetimes, I believe teaching the Bible, simply teaching the Bible is going to be labeled hate speech. It already is in some places. Simply teaching the Bible is going to be labeled hate speech. Now, they're not going to say anything to any other religions. It's just going to be Christianity. That's typically how it happens. Uh, That's kind of picked on. I think that's probably going to happen. I want to be a man who will go to jail for that. I want to be a man who, seriously, I will go to jail for that if it comes down to it. And guess what I'll do when I'm in jail? I'm still going to talk to people about Jesus. And people are going to come to know Jesus. But stuff like that is coming, I believe, for for churches like ours that just teach the Bible. Peter says to this court, I'm willing to go to jail. You know, you can tell me to stop this. I'm willing to go, right? Who are we going to listen to, you or God? Peter says, we got to listen to God. We can't stop talking about what's happened. Now, he was talking specifically about the resurrection. This was the message of the early church. Jesus came and he walked with these guys for a few years and then he died on a cross. And then after three days, he rose again. And the message of the early church is we can't stop talking about Jesus because he rose from the dead. Everything that he said about himself is true. Anybody can come and start saying that they're from God. Anybody can say that, but man, you've got you to actually have something behind that if you're going to do something like get killed and then rise from the dead. You come back out of the grave, hey guys, everything that I said was true. 
I told you who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one who was going to come. That whole Bible that you read, it's all about me. It's my story. I want you to become my community of people that are going to go out and change the world. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'll be back. Peace. And he takes off, right? And the church goes out and starts doing their work. And that's what we are still doing today. And someday our king is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And he's going to call everybody to account. And every single person on this earth is going to have to stand before God and give an account for their life. And you're not going to stand before him with your mama, your grandma, your daddy, your sister, or your brother. It's going to be you. And you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account of how you spent the moments he gave you with the breath that he breathed into your life. You're going to have to give an account. And man, if we ain't ready for that, it's going to be bad. I don't know what hell is like. I just know it's bad. Right? I know it's going to be really, really bad. And I don't want to go there. And uh, we have a reminder weekly when we get together. Jesus rose from the dead, but before that he had to die And he tells us that the reason he died is because sin equals death. Whenever I sin, who's the author of life? Trivia, who's the author of life? God. When I sin, who am I cut off from? That only leaves me with death because the author of life is over here, right? When I'm cut off from the author of life, that just leaves me with death. When I'm cut off from God, that just means the only thing I have to look forward to is oblivion, right? It's not good. But when I'm connected to God, when I have fellowship with God, when, I, when I'm there, when I'm on team Jesus, right? When I'm part of God's family, I'm one of God's children, I'm connected to life. I'm connected to light. What's the opposite of light? Dark, right? Outside of God, there's no life. There's darkness. There's, there's emptiness. There, there's, there's oblivion. Over here, there's life. There's light. There's community. There's fellowship. There's laughing. There's laughter. Sickness, death, emptiness, light, life, fullness, right? That's the choice I have to make. You want to know why we even have this as an option over here? It's because Jesus makes a way for us on the cross. That's what we celebrate in communion. Jesus came into the world. He said, yeah, you guys, you got a penalty over your head. You got a death sentence over your head. Tell you what, I'm going to take that death sentence on to myself. I'll make a deal with you. If you will put your faith in me and follow me, I will apply all of my life to you. I will take all of your death onto myself. I will apply all of my life to you. I will take all of your darkness onto myself. I will apply all of my light to you. Right? You just have to lean into me. I'm going to take care of you. You're my kids. I love you. You just got to lean into me. We celebrate the fact that we have that opportunity in communion. Uh, The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken the, the juice represents the blood of Christ that was sealed. Jesus is the one who set this up. He said, when the church gets together, I want you to do this, and I want you to remember what I did, because Jesus wants us to remember, this is how I feel about you kids. This is how I feel about you. I want to draw you in close. I love you so much that I'm willing to die on a cross for you. I'm willing to take the ultimate penalty for you. This is how much I love you. Guys, it is a blessing when the world hates us, 
that we get to suffer a little bit for him. But never forget, he started it. He loved us first. That's why we love. I'm going to pray and we'll take communion, and then we'll wrap up the lesson. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us together. God, as we take communion, may we examine ourselves. Uh, if we are struggling in our relationship with you, or if we don't have a relationship with you, uh, God, I just pray we be convicted this morning and look into this more. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to wrap this up. Um, I want to walk back through Acts 3 briefly, uh, just to highlight some principles as we think about how we are to interact uh, in a culture that's hostile. How did Peter interact with his culture? Well, first of all, we must remember that it is under the authority of Jesus that I do good. It's under the authority of Jesus that I do good. Anytime you see uh, something done in the name of, uh, just think under the authority of. You guys have heard the phrase stop in the name of the law in old cartoons and stuff like that. What they're saying is stop under the authority of the law. Stop because of the authority that comes from the law. When we speak in the name of Jesus, when we proclaim something in the name of Jesus, we are proclaiming something under the authority or in the authority of Jesus. So think of it that way as we're kind of walking through here. Um, in Acts 3, it was under the authority of Jesus that Peter did this good thing in healing this man. The lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Peter heals this guy in the name of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus. When you are doing good... You're acting under the authority of Jesus. Second, I must persistently remember that it's by the name of Jesus that I glorify God. It's under the authority of Jesus that I glorify God. Peter saw in verse 12 his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, why so surprised about this? Or what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Who is he giving credit to here? He's giving it to Jesus. Whenever you do good, whenever God uses you to help somebody else, whose name are you acting under? It's not about you, right? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. We point to him whenever we have good things that we're doing. Why do you stare at those as though we made this man walk by our own power of godliness? For it is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Again, he's giving credit where credit is due. We act in the name of, under the authority of Jesus. Peter healed a crippled guy. Would anybody in here be upset if there was somebody who couldn't walk and Peter walked in and made him walk? Would anybody in here get mad about that? Put your hand down. <laughs> um, nobody would get mad about that, right? Uh, it's a good thing, but, but he does a good thing and he gets in trouble for doing a good thing because of whose name it was done under. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the, about doing a good thing. It was about whose name he did it under. Again, remember guys, in a hostile culture, people are going to find reasons to have problems with you no matter what you do. You just need to buck up because it's going to happen. And I know it hurts. I like being liked, don't you? 
I don't get up in the morning thinking, who could I make not like me today? Now, when I read on the, online sometimes, I think that's people's motives, but it's usually behind an anonymous handle because their real life name, they want people to like them, right? Trolls on the internet, real life. You want people to like you. Peter wanted people to like him. He does a good thing and he's still not liked. It's going to be the same with us, guys. We must also persistently remember that it's in the name of Jesus that we confront sin. It's under the authority of Jesus that we confront sin. Uh, Peter busts this crowd out. He gets a crowd together who have, who, have seen, uh, who have seen what he did, and then he just kind of slits their throat, man. Uh, he busts them out because this is the crowd that, uh, that crucified Jesus. And so he says, this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite his decision to release him. This is that Jerusalem crowd. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. How would you like to be in that crowd? You were part of the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then Peter comes up and does a miracle and busts you out. Do you know what you did, right? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we're witnesses of this fact. He takes this opportunity to share his faith but man, he doesn't mess around with their sin. He confronts them with it in the name of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus. We are as Christians to speak as oracles of God in our culture. We are to, have a, we are to be a prophetic voice in our culture. When I say prophetic, that doesn't mean predicting the future. It means speaking on behalf of God. It means we articulate what God would say in this situation as best we can. Guys, if you study the Bible, what did they do to the prophets? They killed them. The culture hates the prophets. The culture is going to hate the church, guys. It's going to hate us. We're just getting started. We are just getting started. But they hated Peter. Um... He confronts them with their sin. I must persistently remember, and we're going to close with this, it is by the name of Jesus alone that I offer salvation. It is by the name of Jesus alone that I offer salvation. There is a very unpopular truth in the Bible, and that is that all religions do not lead to heaven. There is one path to God. And that is it. And it's Jesus. There is not another path to God. It is only through Jesus that you will have a connection with God. The God of the Bible is the only God that is real. If you go, and guys, I was a skeptic for years. If you go look at the evidence behind Christianity and compare it to anything else in the world, there is no comparison objective truth. I'm just telling you, the evidence is there. This stuff is for real. I can tell you from a historical standpoint, from an evidentiary standpoint, I can also tell you from an experiential standpoint, this stuff is for real. When I get up here and tell you there's a God in heaven who loves you, I do not have a shred of doubt in my heart. And I know that's not where everybody is. Some of you guys are struggling with whether there's a God. Some of you are struggling with whether you could trust the Bible. Some of you are struggling with whether Jesus existed. I can tell you with 100% clarity, yes, yes, and yes, you sure can. 
But that could be because you need to learn some things. It could be because I've experienced some things that you haven't. But when I get up and proclaim this stuff to you guys, it is, I'm telling you, this is a fact. This isn't a possibility. This is a fact. And I just want to encourage you to lean into it. It is only through Jesus that anybody can be saved. Period. Unpopular idea. But it's the truth. Okay? In Acts 17, or Acts 3, verse 17, Peter says, Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. He's telling this crowd, you didn't know what you were doing. Same words for a lot of you guys. You, had, you didn't know this stuff was for real. You thought Christianity was fake. You thought you could live how you wanted. You thought, you thought a lot of things that you are rethinking now. You've acted in ignorance. When I was struggling, guys, when I was younger, when I was doing all those drugs and partying all the time, I didn't know that there was a God. I thought this was fairy tales. I thought my family was crazy that we're believers. There's some dude in the sky who cares about me. Whatever. That was a bunch of crap. That's what I thought for a long time. I acted in ignorance. I didn't know that this was for real. Some of you may be there. Okay, you've been living, you've been acting in ignorance. He goes on. He says, God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah. That's the king, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God. Okay, if you are here this morning and God is working on your heart, this is God's word to you. If you want a relationship with God and you say, I have messed up, I haven't known about this, I'm not really sure, right? If you are wanting a relationship with God, God's word to you this morning is you need to repent and turn to God. Repentance means that your mind changes about your life where you don't see yourself as the authority. You don't see your opinion as the authority. You shift instead and say, God, I'm going to let you be the authority in my life. And if you have an opinion about something, I'm going to change my opinion and make it align with yours, even if I don't understand why. Guys, and there's sometimes stuff like that. Why did you do that? I don't know. Sometimes I tell my kids to do stuff, and I don't sit around and tell them why. If I'm in a hurry or something, hey, go, go do this. And they come and, can you give me a paragraph of, of an explanation of why? No, just go do what I said, please, right? Sometimes we need to treat God like that. Sometimes we just do what he says because he, he's God. We don't have to understand. We just need to obey. So you make that change in your heart where you say, I am going to change my mind where I'm just going to do what God says. If he says something is wrong, I may not understand why it's wrong. But I'm going to let him be God. I'm not going to pretend like I know better, right? If he says to tell the truth, well, okay, I need to tell the truth. If he says there's an objective reality, there's a foundation that we can build beliefs on, okay, well, I'm going to trust that. So my mind has to change. If he says something's wrong, I'm going to start seeing it the way he says it. And so my behavior is going to change because my mind changes. Repent. Turn to God. The first step in your getting right with God is to seek God with all your heart. If you're here today uh, and you haven't, if you're interested in a relationship with God and you haven't started studying the Bible with somebody, we're going to have a communication card at the end that's got a little box on it where you can check personal Bible study. The person who brought you today, 
or somebody your age that, that you'll get along with. We'll try to connect you with them. And they're going to open up God's Word and start looking at some stuff with you. Guys, we study the Bible with everybody that comes into our church and joins our church because we believe God cares about each and every one of you. And my story is not your story. And your story is not my story. We want to open up God's Word and we want to look at, just look at it and say, hey, what do you think this means? And just have some conversations with you to make sure that you are connected in a way and that you understand. And if you have any questions or struggles, man, in that Bible study, you can talk with people. You could say, I don't really know if the Bible can be trusted. Okay, well, let's look at that. I don't really understand why God would do it this way. Okay, well, let's look at that. Dude, just sit around a table. It's one thing to come to church. Like, you can come to church on Sunday, and you can sit in a crowd, and you can get some stuff from this. That's why we do it, right? This is helpful. But what really will change your life is not sitting and looking at the back of somebody's head. What's going to change your life is sitting across a table or on a couch next to somebody opening up and saying, hey, how does this apply to me? That's what's going to change your life. That's where it gets personal. And you're also going to make some really good friends. Like, how many of you guys in here, you studied the Bible with folks, and now a few years later, you're family? How many? A lot of you, right? You get in there and you get to be friends, you get to be close, you get a family. And that's what the church is for. Repent of your sins and turn to God. That Bible study is to help you learn how to turn to God. And what will happen, guys, as you turn to God, look at this, so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. How many of you guys, that sounds good? Sins wiped away, times of refreshing. Sign me up, right? It starts with your turning to God. Turning to God. The times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Guys, the last verse we're going to look at is 412. This is, this is still the message we have today. There is no one else who has the power to save us. For there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. That's the name of Jesus. Guys, when we say that we offer salvation to people, guys, make no mistake, it is not us who provide the salvation. It is Jesus. But we get to, as the hands and feet of Jesus, be his messengers in the world. We get to take this message of salvation to people. There is one God who has the power to save, and we get to play on his team. Isn't that good? Amen. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and then we're going to sing a song. I want to invite you to pull out that communication card that is in your bulletin and look it over, and please fill it out, members and guests alike. During that first song, you can fill that card out. Then we're going to sing one more song after that and pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in there. If you're visiting today, please do not give us any money. We did not bring you here to take your money. We just want to give something to you, okay? Uh, So let me pray, and then we're going to sing, and please fill that card out. We would love to hear from you. God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for a good Sunday. I pray that uh, this hard message today, Lord, will be taken and applied. I pray that uh, if I said anything out of line, that you will just strike it from our hearts. But God, if I shared your word and somebody's upset, I pray they'll take it to your word and wrestle with you, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.